Welcome to LilyPod episode 110, Divorce-Proofing Marriage. Jeff and Kathy Teichert, bringing you another inspirational episode on LilyPod, a production of Love in Later Years. We are advanced certified life coaches, authors of the Amazon bestseller Intentional Courtship, and members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Our messages are directed towards single adults and later married couples blending families. We also welcome all who enjoy personal growth and enriching relationships. Welcome, LilyPod listeners, to another episode of LilyPod, and today we have a topic that might seem like it's for married people, but I think it's just as important to discuss this, maybe even more important as we prepare for marriage. Kathy, take it away. Yeah, I think this is a a really important episode really for every adult who's ever been married, ever plans to be married, or who is married. Um, and marriage is one of the divine institutions of our religion. I mean, we, we believe that family is super important. And, uh, so divorce proofing marriage in, in every way that we possibly can is going to be to better our family and our society as a whole. Right. So. Uh, what's really awesome is that we are going to be using and applying the antidotes for the Gottman's Four Horsemen of the Marriage Apocalypse, which signals the beginning of the end in marriage. Now, I should add here that John Gottman boasts that he can tell with 95% accuracy within 15 minutes of meeting a couple whether they get divorced or not. And he says, and I don't get asked out to dinner very much. <laughs> <laughs> right, because uh, we all know we're going to be <laughs> under a microscope, aren't we? Um, but isn't that interesting? And if he has 95% accuracy on the, the prediction of uh, a couple getting divorced, then it seems to me that the antidotes, the effort to help things go right in our current or future relationships is paramount. I mean, really, if we take those things that signal the beginning of the end and turn them around and do the opposite, that's what's going to divorce-proof our marriages. Definitely going to help. Yeah. And it's so that we can enjoy the beauty that ultimately can exist between two people and really know how to love, appreciate, appreciate and respect each other. Right. These, these four uh, horsemen, as he calls them, are so destructive that the presence of even one of them can destroy a marriage if the couple doesn't wake up to it and, uh, and deal constructively with it. So with that, do you want to introduce the first one, Kathy? Sure, yes. So the first one we're going to talk about is criticism. And the antidote that is suggested is a gentle startup 
using I statements that express a positive need. Now, if you think about it, criticism is just one word. It's easy to throw out criticism at people these days, isn't it? I mean, we see it on social media. We see it between people, even at the grocery store. I mean, we see it all over the place. Criticism and can can be expressed in only one word. Uh, for example, Kathy's <laughs> favorite is, seriously? <laughs> well, I usually laugh at that. And generally, uh, you know, she's not too bad as far as being a critic and all that. But we all have the tendency to do that. And it's important to discipline ourselves not to be critical when we are inclined to think we have a really good point or something that, you know, needs to be said. Ask yourself if it really does need to be said. And it's interesting you'd bring up seriously. I mean, because I think I once said that when you said you wanted to go walking in a snowstorm. Right. And we laughed at that. And then but we there's probably, the and then we went walking the snowstorm and found it to be delightful. Uh, but I'm sure there's some times at which that's been felt like criticism to you, right? Depending on the circumstance, right? So it's really not the words we say, but it's, is this something my partner's sensitive about? Am I being sensitive in this situation, or am I being critical? Right. Uh, so I statements are. I feel blank about blank because blank. And I really want you to put this in your toolbox. Um, I actually thought everyone knew what I statements were, <laughs> but I guess it's something I learned in probably academia back when I was doing family and human development classes. But I feel blank about blank because blank. Now, feelings are one word and the about is non-confrontational. They should only include facts without any added interpretation. In other words, facts that don't have any stories added, like in our FCBO model that, you know, if you miss those episodes, episodes 101, 102, and 103, really dive deep into that coaching model, and you'll be a lot better at separating facts from stories and being able to, to say what it's about without confrontation and without criticism. And then the because is based on your own experience. It's not because you did this. It's because when this happens, it reminds me of a time when, or, you know, it can be like it, the because can be explained, but it's based on your experience, not their action. Right. You know, in, in my family science program, we, we also referred to these, I feel statements as owning thoughts and feelings, owning your own thoughts and feelings. Um, and we had a therapy lab where we had to uh, encourage our hypothetical uh, client to own their thoughts and feelings and where we ourselves had to own our own thoughts and feelings. If we became uncomfortable in a session, we were to uh, own that and express it to the client in a polite, diplomatic way. Yeah. And I believe that it says a gentle startup uses I statements that express a positive need. To me, that means it's solution focused. And remember that feelings are only one word, which means you can't say, I feel like you are 
Right. That's not a feeling. Or you make me feel. Yeah, no. I feel angry about the dishes being left on the counter because I work so hard all day and I come home and seeing those dishes just, just is, I've just had it. See, do you see how that was about me? I'm not, I'm not pointing blame anywhere other than I'm expressing the way I'm feeling. I'm owning it. Um, now, someone might feel criticized by that right. statement, but it is a lot less harsh. It's more of a gentle startup that uh, they're, they're suggesting. Because when we live with each other, we do have to express things. And this is the healthiest way to do so without being super critical. Right. Criticism can be a very destructive element of a relationship. And when you live really close to, with someone and, and live intimately with them, share breakfast, bed, you know, everything else that life offers with, with your spouse, uh, it's easy to become critical. It's easy to start seeing things that you perceive as weaknesses or annoyances or whatever. And so it's important to fight that one. And, you know, that, uh, gentle startup that Kathy was talking about is a good beginning for dealing with, uh, with a situation where you might be inclined to be critical. Well, and I'd like to go beyond the online suggestion, if right. that's okay with you. I really would like to dive just a little deeper into this one. I think that our hearts are always on the path of peace or they're on the path of war. And that's something we learned from uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. And in the Anatomy of Peace, they both talk about that. Yeah. So the um, I think that besides using the words that we lear learn in academia, how to soften and, and, and take responsibility for our own thoughts and feelings, there's also a lot to be said for is my heart at peace? And if it's not, work on that. Because right. it's so much easier to be a lot more peaceful and calm and less critical when we're at peace. Well, how can you influence the other person to see a different point of view or a different perspective if you yourself are loaded up with anger and uh, feel unsettled and feel in fight or flight. And maybe. it's going to come out in your tone of voice. We track each other and we can't say things well enough to contradict what's coming out in our body language. Right. And the other thing is if we are very self-critical, uh, which I know a lot of us are, uh, then we're going to be more critical of others. I mean, that's just how it works. I mean, like with which judge you judge others is how you're judged. Well, I think it's how we judge ourselves, how we judge others. It like correlates, right? Right. So because it correlates, then I think we want to start practicing being more compassionate with ourselves. So if you're, whether you're married or whether you're single, this is a very important thing to practice. Practice being less critical of yourself and others. Right. So I, I think that's what, all I have to say about that. Do you want to go on to the next one? Yeah, the next one, John Gottman says, 
is the most predictive of divorce of all of all four and that is contempt and contempt is really based on the idea that i am better than you i'm smarter my ideas are superior i'm morally better and so it can be it can be anything even something that that might be uh, normally seen as positive, it's, it, you know, can be turned around and made negative just because the tone of your voice. And it's a point of comparison. Right. So like uh, I, one, one statement I think would indicate contempt would be, well, at least I don't. Have you ever heard that in your relationship? <laughs> well, at least I didn't. Yeah, that becomes a quickly a race to the bottom where you each start pointing out why the other one is worse than you. And <laughs> yeah, uh, and I've we've seen that a lot. And, and yeah, we've experienced it, I mean, in other relationships and maybe even our own a little bit at the beginning. Yeah, it's something we, we really try to avoid now. Um, President Benson says that pride is the... Pride in the comparison is the universal sin. Right. He says that the pride is not in having something, but having more of it than the next person. And so the comparison, it's essentially competitive and contempt is essentially competitive too. It's this really the same thing. Right. Uh, and he says it's the universal sin. Now think about that for a minute. What does universal mean? It means, I mean, if you were sitting there thinking, of someone else who might need this message while we were giving it, think again. It's the universal sin. You have it too. So mm -hmm. it's something that we all uh, need to be aware of and to be cognizant of because it will take over relationships. It will take over our behavior. You know what I heard back in my college days that I'll never forget and that I've had with me ever since? What's that? What is the worst sin? Do you know the answer? The one you don't want to give up. Yeah, the one that you're not willing to repent of. The one that I'm not willing to repent of. I, I meant you in like a plural sense, but like the answer is always the one I am not willing to give up. The one I'm not willing to repent of. That's the worst sin because anything else is none of my business. Right. Right. I mean, the worst sin is the one I'm not changing. Right. That's it. That's the, that's the answer. And if, if you've got that, if you've really got that in your heart and in your mind and you start practicing that, I don't think contempt becomes a, a big problem. Right. Um, but there is an antidote for it. And I love this one, actually. I love this antidote. Okay. Build a culture of appreciation. Mm -hmm. Find gratitude for positive qualities and behaviors of your partner. Right. Because that elevates them instead of, instead of pushing them down. Yeah. Makes sense. And uh, so, so yeah, contempt can be an incredibly difficult element in a relationship and building that culture of appreciation and gratitude uh, and President Benson said the antidote for pride is humility. Uh, if it, it takes a certain amount of humility to recognize the nobility and the goodness in another person who 
whose faults you know probably better than anyone else's. Yes, I love that. Excellent. Do you want to move on to the next one? Yep. All right. The next one is defensiveness. So when we are defensive, uh, it's uh, it's something that I think all of us do. I mean, to a certain extent, I think it's not something we necessarily get over entirely in this lifetime because we all have these egos <laughs> that to protect. And we're all a little, a little insecure. Yeah. So uh, obviously, you know, I think there's there's a reason why as humans we tend to get defensive. And the antidote for being defensive is taking responsibility. And um, I kind of reworded this a little bit from what I found online, but because I think looking for the element of truth specifically in a partner's perspective is one of the best ways to, instead of being defensive, be curious. Right. To be curious about, hmm, why are you seeing it this way? Like, even if it's not the way you saw it. Right. And then being willing to look for the element of truth in what they're saying. And then and then apologize for any wrongdoing. Even if it wasn't intentional, we can apologize for their hurt feelings, for the, you know, maybe being insensitive, you know, in ways that we didn't anticipate that we were being. Right. And, you know, John Gottman uh, ha has an interesting way of sort of describing that, that if... Uh, if your partner is saying something and you start to feel defensive, you can you can sort of say, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more about that, you know. Now, I, I want to make a another point, though, regarding defensiveness. We have both criticism and defensiveness as two of the four horsemen. Now, why do we normally get defensive? Well, or, or when, I should say. Normally, we get defensive when we're being criticized. That triggers that defensiveness mm. in us. And so uh, I don't want you to go away with the idea that, well, if I can just get my partner to stop criticizing me, then I won't be so defensive. Um, well, if I could get my partner to stop being so defensive, I wouldn't criticize him or her. Mm. Um, and have you ever seen children squabble? And this is exactly how it goes. Right. Where no one backs down, and so it just escalates until someone runs away screaming and crying or something, you know, like, or someone right. hits, you know, they, they bring out their hands because they're through with their words, you know. And, like, as adults, I think usually when we're in this critical defensive cycle, back and forth, back and forth, we end up getting a little juvenile. Like, we end up kind of going into our inner child that insecure part of us that doesn't know how to be mature enough to get out of that rut right i mean i i don't think by saying that defensiveness is one of the four horsemen the gottmans are excusing criticism that might spark that defensiveness i think what they're saying really is well both of those are destructive things yeah and it, at some point it's got to stop with someone right and so if you're inclined to be defensive and you approach it in a different way hmm, that's interesting tell me more about that let me understand you 
that that's more likely to diffuse the criticism than fighting back and being defensive. That isn't to say that you're supposed to be a, a doormat and let somebody walk all over you. That's not what we're talking about. But it's it's trying to, to have a more effective way to deal with that kind of attack. Well, in fact, the opposite of defensive is... Offensive. Well, <laughs> no. Well, in, these, in this instance, the opposite of defensive is pretending you're like a Teflon pan and anything, any kind of criticism thrown in that pan is just kind of going to bounce right back. Out. Right. And does it hurt you if it gets thrown in and it bounces right back out? No, it doesn't. It didn't even permeate. It didn't come into you. Right. So taking a non-defensive position isn't, being open to hurt, it's actually being open to not being hurt right. by what's being said. Right. Uh, if you look at it that way. Now, um, one thing we discussed kind of while we were preparing for this podcast is that it is good to an offer an apology. It's not so good to demand one. Right. So this is not to say, oh, you're being defensive, you need to apologize. It's more like, I'm going to notice when I'm defensive and apologize. And, you know, when one is demanded, the relationship is probably bleeding and you're trying to do the other person's work in the relationship. Yeah, can you ever think of one conversation that went better after somebody said, I'm not talking to, to you unless the first word's out of your mouth or I'm sorry. Of course, that <laughs> that's provocative. It doesn't ever help. And uh, an apology that you're trying to coerce or force, how sincere is that going to be? Well, and you're not even going to believe it anyway. Right. Even if it is sincere, you won't believe it. But that's why looking for the element of truth and having that be your responsibility it's easier to apologize for something you understand the other person to have experienced with you. Right. Rather than taking on what they're saying, you know, oh, yep, I guess I'm just a terrible person. I'm sorry. Like, that's not an apology. That's actually right. just more contempt. That's, yeah, that's a snide comment that mm -hmm. is meant to put the other person down. Which is contempt. Yep. So, yeah, you want to have that apology come from a sincere place of, and curiosity and wanting to understand the other person's point of view. Right. All right. Shall we move on to the last one? Yep. My favorite. Um, <laughs> and it's my favorite because it caused my divorce. Um, <clears throat> stonewalling is the fourth uh, horseman of the apocalypse. And what that is, if you can imagine literally or figuratively, someone sitting there with their arms folded tightly and their lips pursed, and um, you get the idea that, you know, they're not going to listen to a thing and they're not going to say anything. They're just going to sit there seething. Stonewalling then is it, it, it really interesting. The Gottmans have, have, uh, have measured the vital signs of people stonewalling and, and their heart rates are pretty much the same as, as people who are experiencing a conversation filled with contempt. 
but the stonewalling is quiet. Nobody's yelling and screaming. Nobody's shouting insults. Or if they are, only one person is because the other person's sitting there just stubbornly refusing to talk. Now, they do say that stonewalling tends to, that, that marriages afflicted with stonewalling tend to last longer than those afflicted with contempt. Why? Because contempt is in your face. It is right there. It is extremely unpleasant in the moment. And so it, it's something that you kind of are forced to deal with earlier. Well, and Jeff and I uh, experienced a lot of contemptual interactions with our second spouses. Right. But the, uh, the stonewalling, um, Dr. Gottman says, generally leads to divorce in about 15 years. And my divorce was in about 15 years. And, and you were like textbook. Yeah. Stonewalling played a major part in that. So the antidote for stonewalling is physiological self-soothing. Wasn't that nice? Self-soothing. <laughs> and that is if you are the stonewaller. Yeah. Take a break and do something soothing and distracting. However, that is definitely not enough. You must come back together when you're feeling calm to work things out with your partner. Otherwise, it's just still stonewalling. Right. I mean, it might be good for you. Um, and it probably leads to a more peaceful, calm environment when you physiologically self-soothe and take that break to do something soothing and distracting. But if you don't come back together and work out that your partner will always feel like, okay, yeah, nothing's worked out. We didn't really talk about it. Right. Um, and that's where we really encourage prayer because prayer can help you solve things you cannot on your own. Right. And listen to, to you that, feel overwhelmed by conflict. And there's a lot of reasons people do. I understand that it may frighten the bejeebies out of you uh, when you take a time out to get relief from that pressure you feel uh, for us to say, you have to come back to it later and discuss it. And and one of the things that, that you'll hear is, well, if I know I'm going to have to discuss it, whatever this is, then I'm going to be feeling that sort of Damocles hanging over my head uh, the entire time. I'm going to be worried about having to come back and talk about it. Well, at some point, friends, if you're unwilling to talk about it ever you're going to have a problem. It's going to be a severe problem after several years. Might take 15 right. years. But yeah. Uh, so face up to it, even if you're scared. And here's a little bit of hope for those who would rather not deal. Jeff and I have found that what we could spend the entire night fighting about if we take a time out, we come back together, discuss it when we're calm, after a good prayer, we can solve it in five minutes. Yeah, sometimes 10, but it's, it's fast. It is. It really is. And it's so much easier. And it's so much more rewarding because we actually work it out rather than just having to deal 
our entire lives with something unresolved. Right. If you're one of these people who I described earlier that are just overwhelmed and maybe you feel like your partner is too strong of a person for you or whatever, if you're one of these people that is that is frightened like this, it's actually going to be liberating for you to talk about what you what you think and it's going to build trust. And the, the only thing I can tell you is straight out of the gate, trust the process, trust the process because it works. And that does mean confronting your fears and pushing through no way around that, but trust the process and, uh, and you're going to be better off. Well, and I'll tell you what, one of the best ways to process your thoughts and feelings is on a walk. Um, literally the, the bilateral stimulation of your left to right foot and right to left and, you know, continuation of it. It's like EMDR. It's natural EMDR. Right. Which is like a, which is a desensitization to trauma um, therapy. So if you could go on a walk, that's a good way not only to distract yourself from the issue, um, but to get, you know, those endorphins going. But the other thing is, is you can go on a couple walk. Um, I know with my own child who sometimes doesn't want to talk about things that are bothering him and yet he's taking it out on the family because he's keeping it in. I'll ask him to go on a walk with me and he's starting to understand what that means is I'm going to open up and I don't want to open up to you. <laughs> like, right. but if he will, then we talk and it's better. It's so much better. He feels better. I feel better. Everybody's happier. So that's another way you could potentially work out an issue. If you are naturally a stonewaller is to go walking for yourself and then with your partner to work it out. We want to emphasize as we talk about taking timeouts that a timeout is triage. It's not uh, the long-term health of the patient. It is a measure you can take to stop the bleeding, to stop things from getting worse. And then of course, you've got to come back and treat the patient when you're both calm. And so that's, that's uh, part of it is treating your marriage or your dating relationship well. Yeah, I think basically, I, I think a good rule of thumb is that, you know, 90% of the time we want to just be able to communicate in ways that help things go right. So timeouts and solutions aren't needed. Right. And then once in a while, something's gonna, gonna trigger people and that's when we're going to need to take a time out. But we want to spend, as Kathy said, 90% or more of the time helping things go right rather than fixing things that have gone wrong. And really just enjoying the goodness of your relationship and the interaction. Right. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're not saying that timeouts aren't important for, for strong-willed people who are maybe both very smart, both very opinionated, <clears throat> like uh, us. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have a need for a timeout once in a while. Uh, but the vast majority of the time, you don't want to be focused on what's wrong and what you've got to fix and all of that. 90% of the time or more, you want to be focused on what's good, appreciating what's good, building the relationship, building relationships with 
uh, people that have influence with your spouse, just all that kind of thing. So anyway, um, that's an important element uh, to consider when, you know, when we know that a relationship uh, uh, is bleeding and we have to take a time out, that that's, that's not where we want to be most of the time. Right. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share, Jeff, about this subject? I am so excited about this topic. Um, it's, it's one that I've been wanting to do for a while. And I think the antidotes to those four horsemen of the marriage apocalypse are really kind of perfect. Because like I said, if you can apply those antidotes to the things that are very strong predictors of divorce, then you're going to divorce proof your marriage. Yeah, and remember to use a little moderation. Uh, for example, a timeout that goes on forever is stonewalling. So uh, a timeout can be a very valuable tool if not carried to excess. Right, and an apology that isn't really sincere in your heart is more like contempt. Right. So I think in all of these things, it really comes back to having a, a heart at peace towards your spouse and constantly be working at that part. Um, and, and really peace just in general, I think is, is important, but particularly peace towards the person that you want to, to stay with. And it, it creates a want to stay with situation rather than I'm dealing with this and I'm putting up with something. Right. Yeah, it becomes something you really do want. Right, if I'm just tolerating you that's contempt. Yeah, that's, well, no one really wants to, to be tolerated. I think right. we want to be loved and valued. And uh, I would encourage people to go to our real love episode with Dr. Greg Bear. If you want to learn more about real love and, uh, and that would be a really great, I think, pair with this episode. Um, I think it's episode 69. I'm not sure, but it's real love with Dr. Greg Bear. And that's a great one. Now, I would just like to refer everybody over to our YouTube channel, which is Lily Tube. And uh, we have a great satirical video there on how to guarantee a divorce. <laughs> so kind of the opposite of this episode, but it's really fun. I think you'll have a good time with it. Right. Lots of laughs there. <laughs> Lots of laughs. So remember, let's keep the four horsemen at bay. The four horsemen are criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. And remember that any time is a great time for more love in your life. Thank you for listening. Please share LilyPod with those you love who could benefit from what we share here. We invite you to sign up for our Elevating Weekly Lily Letter, subscribe to LilyTube, and enjoy other life-affirming content at loveinlateryears.com. Email us to request a free 15-minute Lily Coaching Discovery Call. We are here to support you.